0: Hello, friends, and welcome to the Sermons Podcast of Christ Church at Grove Farm. We are thrilled to be a part of your spiritual journey and look forward to helping you discover God's plan for your life. To find more messages like this, be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel and our podcast feeds. To stay connected with us, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter under the handle CCGF01 and check out our website, ccgf.org, for all of this information and more. Now... Here is this week's message: Grace and Peace to you. Not too long ago, I took my family to one of those Japanese hibachi grill restaurants. You ever been to one of those? I think I got a picture of us sitting around the table. It was a lot of fun. If you've ever been to one of those restaurants, you know that the star of the show is the chef, the guy who comes and prepares your food, and he's got the knife skills. This guy's got the jokes. Pretty cheesy jokes, but he's got jokes. And then he's popping shrimp in people's mouth. That's always impressive. Hopefully you catch it and it doesn't end up in your shirt. And, and then he sets something on fire inevitably during the meal. It's a real star, showstopper. It's a, it's a real great experience. If you haven't done it, you should do it at some point. And I think sometimes we're in awe of that kind of experience, right? And you think, man, I wish I had knife skills like that. Because let's be honest you probably don't have knife skills like that, do you? You wish you did, but you don't have those knife skills. I believe that sometimes those of us in the life of the church feel a little bit like a customer at a Japanese hibachi grill when we come to the church. I mean, our experience ends up being people who sit in a pew and people who are spectators to worship in the Christian experience on a Sunday morning. I fear that that's what we are. And, and we think about the, the great heroes of the faith or the, super, the superstars of the faith. We think of people like John Guest who can preach and have this great gift. Or we think of Alistair Begg or even J.I. Packer who just passed away this past week. And these people certainly have been gifted by God in really unique and special ways. But I think each of them, if they were able, would tell us, they would say, you know what? You also have the same Holy Spirit in you. You can interpret God's word. You can teach God's word. You can be a minister of the gospel. They would say those things to us if they were standing here with us today, don't you think? And the Christian experience shouldn't be this thing that we feel like we cannot replicate at home, that we can't replicate outside of Sunday morning. It should be something that's personal and it's application for us. So this series, Unpacked, is all about equipping Those of you who are listening, and by the way, if you're listening at home, we're so glad you're engaging with us. We've got people in the room here. You're welcome to come with us if you feel the freedom to do so. We want to study the Scriptures and learn how we can unpack God's Word as we read the Scriptures, not only on Sunday morning when we're gathered together, but anytime. And so I'm going to ask you and put before you some very simple questions. I would encourage you, take some notes, whether it's on your phone or on a piece of paper there, wherever you're sitting. And as you take notes, perhaps you can think of ways you can apply this particular technique. And this is just one technique. I'm going to introduce to you what is really narrative criticism of the Scriptures. This is one way you can read them, some questions you can ask. And this can be applied to the Gospels. This can be applied to, to uh, any narrative, anything that has a storyline within the the Holy Bible. Today we're going to look at Galatians 2. Thank you David for for reading that for us. Let's go to the text. So as we do this this morning, we're going to be talking about three different uh, categories or three different questions I'm going to ask of this scripture and this text as we approach it. The first is this, who are the characters? Now you know when I say characters, I'm not talking about made up people. These are real people, historical figures that we're talking about. We're going to ask about the characters and consider what we know about them already. We're also going to look at some themes that might emerge. One question you can ask when you're reading the scriptures is this What themes are present in this passage? And then finally, and I think this is really important, it's really critical whenever we read the scriptures to ask this question What is the purpose of this passage? Whether it's one verse, many verses, what is the purpose? In other words, what's the main idea? What's the point of this verse or this this group of verses we're reading? This is the narrative criticism that we're going to be looking at. We're going to look at Ephesians 2 through this way. Let's start by talking about the people, the characters who are part of this story. So as you heard Pastor David read, you certainly may have picked up that the guy Paul that we talk about a lot, the Apostle Paul, is a main figure in this passage. Paul, of course was born and raised a Jew, born and raised a Jew, and Paul became an expert in the law. He was, he was a high priest. Well, all that changed in the book of Acts. We read about in Acts 9 his experience on Damascus Road. Do you remember this? If you don't, this is one of those passages to go back to in the week. I think you'll find it amazing. On the road to Damascus, Paul, the high priest, was literally knocked off His high horse, so to speak. And he was blinded by the light. And within this light, he encountered the resurrected Jesus Christ. Incredible experience, powerful experience, of course, transformative experience. This changed Paul. So Paul, the high priest, became Paul, the apostle. This guy became someone who was specifically the apostle to the Gentiles, He's an apostle to the non-Jewish people. And as we're reading this passage, we're catching up with Paul, and he is writing to us from a place called Antioch. This is very, very important to the early church and to the New Testament. He is in Antioch. And in Antioch, which is, by the way, modern day Turkey, we find this port city. Antioch in ancient times was a port city, and goods were distributed to places throughout the ancient world from this port city. And here's the cool thing about that. It wasn't just handmade goods or precious materials that were distributed from Antioch. You know what else was distributed from Antioch? Christianity. Christianity was sent to the ancient world through the ancient port of Antioch. In fact, believers were called for the very first time Christians. At Antioch. Antioch is really important. So Paul is coming to us from Antioch. He's the apostle to the Gentiles, an important figure in this passage. As you read again, you start to ask, what do I know about Paul? And this is a good way to help process the text that you're reading. In this case, Ephesians 2. The next character or person that we see in this passage is a man who's referred to as Cephas in this passage. His given name was Simon. But, we're going to talk about this in a moment, he had an experience where Jesus renamed him, gave him a new name, and his new name was Peter. We all know Peter, Peter. You know, Peter actually comes from the word Cephas. Cephas, as he's referred to in this passage, is an Aramaic word, and you know what it means? Stone or pebble. You may have heard that Peter was the rock, right? Well, Peter is a Greek word, Petros, and that's where we get our name peter so this all comes together and we're talking about this guy peter let's think about some of the things you might know about him there's a lot we could say about peter first of all you know we read in matthew 16 about the great confession that he made jesus huddled up his disciples he asked them this really big question he said who do people say i am and peter raised his hand he's the first one to speak out and he says you are the christ the son of the living god and Jesus says, out of Simon, I'm going to give you a new name. This is my paraphrase, by the way. He says, I'm going to give you a new name. And your new name is Cephas Rock. Your new name is Peter Rock. And you will be a leader of this new movement, this early church. So we have the great confession of Peter. We see this roller coaster ride of Peter's life. Then we know this in Matthew 14. Peter saw Jesus walking on the water. Oh, when this happened, the disciples thought that they had seen a ghost. But eventually they realized it was Jesus. And what does Peter do? He says, Lord, if it's you, call me out. I want to walk on the water. And so Peter gets out of the boat. Don't you love that about Peter? He gets out of the boat and says, let me walk on the water. And he started to, but of course, as you know, it began to sink because he took his eyes off of Jesus. In Matthew 26, we see a really uh, formative moment in the life of Peter. You know, he had been at the last supper at the table with Jesus, and he said, Jesus, even if everyone denies you, even if everyone falls away, I will never turn away. Well, guess what? He did. Peter denied Jesus, not once, not twice, but three times. To little kids he denied him. He said, I don't even know who he is. But in spite of that, he was restored powerfully by Jesus himself in John chapter 21. Restored unto ministry. Restored as a leader in the context of the church. He's Peter. He's the rock. And we go on and we read in the book of Acts about incredible things that Peter accomplished through the power of God. I mean, go read Acts chapter 2. The greatest sermon ever preached. The first sermon in the early church. Peter preached the word powerfully. He was the apostle to the Jews. And so he's in Jerusalem. And he speaks and hundreds of people Surrender their lives to God and trust in Jesus. Incredible. Then in in Acts chapter 10, we see a very vivid dream, an experience that Peter had. You see, Peter, being the apostle to the Jews, was a guy who was steeped in the law. And it's his understanding, Jesus had come for the Jews. But his world was about to be rocked because God did two things. First, he sent a Roman citizen. A guy named Cornelius. Cornelius was a Gentile, a non-Jew. And not only that, in the meantime, as Cornelius is coming to visit Peter, he has a dream. And this is all important to this passage, by the way. He has a dream. And in this dream, God shows him that the things that Peter considers to be unclean or unholy, God has called clean and has called holy. Holy. This is specifically about Peter's prejudice. Peter was prejudiced against people who were non-Jews. He didn't want anything to do with them. He didn't think that Jesus had come to save them. And God opens his eyes and shows him, no, no, no Peter, you got this wrong. Don't call unholy or unclean what I have called clean and what I have called holy. And so Peter's eyes are opened in a wonderful way. He understands that Jesus is not just for the Jewish people, but for everyone, the non-Jews as well. Isn't that good news, everyone? Peter saw this. So you have that background, right? And now we see the present time, and we see that Peter is struggling with inconsistency. I mean, this guy who had these grand experiences with Jesus, he heard Jesus preach, he heard Jesus teach, he walked with Jesus. He put his arm around Jesus. He was next to Jesus. And yet we see him struggling with inconsistency. You may wonder, how can this be? I mean, how could it be that Peter, a guy who was that intimate with Jesus in the flesh, the Savior, how could he be so inconsistent? I mean, how could he be someone who sits down and eats with Gentiles? That's what this is about, by the way. Peter would sit down and eat with Gentiles, And then he would turn around and press on them the observance of the very principles that he had violated. He was being double-minded. And so Paul here is going to call him out in all this. Here's what I would say. If you're wondering, how could Peter do this? Well, I would ask you, and I would actually encourage you and challenge you to identify with the imperfections. Whenever we read the Scriptures, don't think of yourself as the hero. We're not the hero. Let me clue you in on that. We're not the hero. No, no, identify with the imperfections. You see, brokenness in Peter, there's hope for you. There was hope for Peter, there's hope for us. You think, well, how could Peter, who walked with Jesus, be so inconsistent? Well, how can we, who have the presence of God, those of us who believe, how can we be so inconsistent? How can we be people who who break promises and hurt others? Aren't we needy? Aren't we the broken? Don't gloss over this. So these are the characters. We see Paul, we see Peter, we got to know who they are. Before we get into this, let's get into the themes now. Let's talk about the themes that we see present in this passage. You know, I'm going to point out three to you very briefly here. You could read a given passage, perhaps this one, and find different themes. The first theme I want to point out to you, though, is leadership. I believe leadership is a theme that we see very present in this passage, You see, we have Paul here confronting Peter. Let me take you to the text again. Galatians 2. I'm going to read verses 11 and 14. Follow along on the screen or in your Bible in your lap. When Cephas, we know that's Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. Strong words from Paul because he stood condemned. And when I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, this is Paul speaking, in front of them all, you are a Jew. Yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? You may be wondering, wow, why is Paul so angry? Why is this guy so wound up about this? What's this about? Well, let me tell you, Paul carried a burden for the people. Paul was a leader in the early church. And he, as a leader, and this is what leaders do, by the way, he carried a burden for the people. You might wonder, well, why is he so special? What happened? Let me take you to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. You can read this on your own if you want, but let me just tell you why Paul felt so convicted about this, or maybe evidence of why he felt so convicted. Paul was a guy who received the 39 lashes five times. I think I would have quit after one time, wouldn't you? Five times he, he incurred the 39 lashes. Three times he was beaten with rods. One time he was stoned. Three times he was shipwrecked. Paul had literally sacrificed his body on behalf of the church. He met this resurrected Christ. And he was a leader in the church. And so Paul took all this very personally. Paul carried a burden for the people of God. And because of that, you know what he was willing to do? Confront. Even Peter. Even a guy who was a leader of the church and respected he was willing to confront things because Paul carried a burden for the people. And he wouldn't do it any other way. He was willing to hold people accountable. He was willing to do this, preach the truth and love. And so how about us? I mean, I would say this. You are a leader in some capacity. You're a leader of your household. You're a leader in your community. You're a leader in your school, young people. You are a leader in some capacity. And how are you leading? Let me tell you this. Leaders carry a burden for their people leaders carry a burden for their people so wherever you are as a leader carry a burden for the people that might mean that you might need to confront some things in love keep this in mind so that's one of the themes we see i could camp out there and talk about that for a while let's look at another theme though another theme that you see emerge in this passage is fear let me show it to you here read verse 12 of galatians 2 for before certain men came from james Peter used to eat with the Gentiles, but when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because why? He was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. You might remember this from a couple of weeks ago when I preached out of Galatians 5, that there was this group of Judaizers who were going to the new converts in Galatia, and they were saying, listen, great, we're happy you believe in Jesus, you got to be circumcised, you got to follow the law. They were trying to press these on those people. And now Peter's interacting with those people. And Peter's freedom is being threatened by his fear. Peter is afraid of the circumcision group. He's afraid of the group of Judaizers. Why? Because he's people-pleasing. Peter is serving and acting like a people-pleaser. Do any of you identify with that? Ever felt yourself struggling to be a people-pleaser? Are you maybe someone who's struggling with that? Let me show you Proverbs 29, 25. Fearing people is a dangerous trap. How about that? That's what the Bible says very clearly. Fearing people is a dangerous trap, but trusting the Lord means safety. Is your freedom being threatened by your fear? Are you afraid of what your family might think if they know that you follow Christ? Unwilling to speak up. Are you afraid that they might think, what, you believe that? Are you afraid? of what your coworkers or what your friends might see, say or your neighbors if you were to testify to God's work in your life? Are you allowing fear to stop you from living freely in Christ? Listen, throw off fear and live in the freedom of Jesus. Throw off fear. Peter was being afraid here. So we see that theme in the passage. There's one more theme I want to point out to you. And that's the theme of hypocrisy. I could show you where we could see this. And again, I'm simply reading the passage and saying, Lord, show me what themes that are here. What themes are there? And you see sometimes the words pop out to you in the scriptures, like this one. This is from Galatians 2, 13. The other Jews joined him, joined Peter, in his hypocrisy. So that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas, who has a very good reputation in the New Testament, was led astray. You see what happened? Peter, being a leader, is leading other people away from the freedom that we have in Christ. Peter, because of his hypocrisy, is turning other people into being hypocrites themselves. And so he's being confronted by the apostle Paul. You know, Peter was acting one way with the Gentiles, and he was acting another way with the Jews. This is hypocrisy. The Greek word for hypocrisy that we read here is actually stage actors. I think that's interesting. The word means stage actors, literally, in the Greek. A hypocrite is a person who lives their life in a desperate search for human approval and applause. It's like someone on a stage. That's what a hypocrite is. That's what Peter was doing. He was playing different roles, wearing different masks. He was seeking the approval, and that's what hypocrites do. So let me ask you a question again. How about you? I mean, how are you seeking approval who are you seeking approval from what are you seeking approval for do you play different roles based on who you're around what audience you're you you find yourself in the midst of seeking to bask in the applause of those people you're putting on the mask listen step off the stage if hypocrisy is about stage acting step off the stage and bask in the light of god's love for you you can rest in that You don't need to play a role for anyone because God has met. God will meet your greatest need of acceptance and approval through his love through Christ for us. You could step off that stage. You have his approval. Those are some of the themes you see. I would love to hear if you find more in Galatians 2. As you read a passage, you can ask, who are the people? What do I know about them? You could ask. You'd say, okay, what are the themes I see in this passage? But then there's a really important question that we might must ask whenever we read a verse or whenever we read a passage of any length, and that's this. What is the purpose? What's the main idea? What's the big idea? What point is this passage, is this verse trying to make? What is the purpose? I want to suggest to you what the purpose of this passage is. I believe we find it in verses 15 and 16 of Galatians 2. Go there with me. We who are Jews by birth... And not sinful Gentiles. Know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no one, no one will be justified. I want to suggest to us that the purpose of this passage is this to teach us about justification. That is the great purpose of this passage. You know, justification is a legal term uh, in its spirit. A story might help here to help us understand this word justification. So uh, about a year or two ago, I was traveling through a little country town. And as I was traveling through this little country town, I found myself on my way to deliver some Bibles to some kids who didn't have Bibles. I had cases of Bibles in the back of my car. And uh, I guess I was excited. I was going a little bit too fast. And so wouldn't you know it, I saw the, the, one of the, uh, the, the, this little town's finest turn on their blue lights behind me and pull me over. So I rolled down the window, and before I hand my registration and my license, I said, Listen, officer, I am actually in your town to deliver these Bibles. You see those Bibles back there? I've got cases of Bibles. Come on, give me a break. You're going to give me a ticket? I basically said that, and he said, well, that's a nice story. Here's your ticket. (laughs) And he said, if you want to fight it, you can feel free to show up in court on this date. So I said, I'm going to fight it. I was delivering Bibles. I wasn't going that much over the speed limit. And so I showed up for my day in court. When I showed up, the courthouse of this little town had 200 people standing outside of it. This is a money-making effort on the behalf of this community. And so all these people were showing up to contest the tickets they've received. It came for my turn to stand before the judge. And it was very quick. And basically, there was this deal that we cut, right? That if I paid a certain amount, they would expunge the, the, uh, the points from my record, the citation from my record. And that seemed like a, a, good, a good deal for me and probably for them too. But, what if it had turned out different that day? What if when I stood before the judge, something different happened? What if I didn't just pay a fine and we made this deal? What if the judge would have said, you know what, Craig, Girgo? you're guilty. You're guilty, you know it. You, you were going too fast, you broke the law. And what if the judge were to say, but I'm not gonna declare you guilty. I'm not gonna declare you guilty, even though we all know you're guilty, not because you're a good driver. I'm not gonna do this because you paid a fine. I'm going to do this because I'm a good judge. What if the judge were to say that? Because I'm a good judge. And because someone else has paid a fine for you. Someone else has taken the punishment in your place. And because of that, Craig, you are declared righteous. I would have been like, whoa, that's crazy, right? That's not what happened. But what if that would have happened? Let me tell you. That, in essence, is justification. Here's how the Bible puts it. 2 Corinthians 5.21. The Bible says... For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. So here's my definition for you. This is kind of academic. You might want to write it down. You might want to think about this. You might want to post this on your mirror or or put it on your phone and go back to this. Here's the definition of justification. This is the purpose of this passage, I believe. Justification is the act of God whereby he declares... The believing sinner, righteous in Jesus Christ. So justification is. Now I want to break this down to you in four parts really quickly as we we continue in this message here. So justification, we said there's four parts here I want to break down to you. The first part is this. It's an act of God. Justification is an act of God. Here's what I mean. It's not what you and I have done. It's not what we have done. No, it's what he has done. Justification is something that he does, just like my my little what-if story about the judge. So Jesus Christ lived the perfect life. Not us, not you. Jesus Christ paid for sin on the cross. Not you. Jesus Christ endured the wrath of God. Not you. Jesus Christ rose from the grave. Not you or not me, Do you see. So justification is an act of God. It's something that God has done. The second part of my definition of justification that I've put before you is this, that it's something that happens. I took off two signs. It's something that he declares. So it's an act of God, and it's something that he declares. Here's what I mean. There are 613 laws in the Old Testament book of law. 613 laws. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine the weight of having to wake up and think about, okay, i got to fulfill the law today. All the things you have to avoid. All the things you have to do. 613. Well, here's what God does with this. Jesus Christ on the cross said this. Three words. It is finished. You know what he means? That the law has been fulfilled. His work has been fulfilled. It is finished. No longer are people on the hook for 613 laws It is something that God declares. Listen, it's not a process. No, you are declared righteous by God. That's what happens. This is an an act of God, and it's something he declares. Here's the third part. He does this for who? The believing sinner. The believing sinner. What I mean by that is this. Not for a good person. You ever go to a funeral, and, and when we're paying tribute or honoring the memory of someone who's passed we say uh, he was a good person or she was a good person they're in a better place i've said that have you said that you know what would be better for us to say he is a good god he is a good god and and we can't declare anyone righteous we can't say that anyone's quote unquote good in his eyes but he can do that you know he does that for the believing sinner i love the juxtaposition of those words The person who believes in Jesus, who trusts in him, despite their sin, God, with his act, declares the believing sinner righteous. That's what he does. And of course, this is what we're talking about. What does he do? He declares them righteous. This is the heart of justification. It's being declared righteous. The good news is this. The good news is that I've been declared righteous through Jesus. You can say that with confidence. The good news is that we have been declared righteous through Jesus. That's it. It's not our good works. Look, it's not because of our demonstrated righteousness. That's not why we're declared righteous. Not because we're good. It's not our demonstrated righteousness. We don't achieve righteousness. You were declared righteous. That's why we call it grace. It's an act of God. He declares the believing sinner righteous. I want to try this with you okay maybe this will help text you read it in this context I want to go back to verses 15 and 16 and and I've had our staff our team put in the words declared righteous where justified or justification shows up in this passage let's read this together play along with me here okay we're gonna put the verse on the screens I would love you to read it with me we know that a person is not declared righteous by the works of the law but by faith in Jesus Christ So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be declared righteous by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no one will be declared righteous. Amen, no one. It's only by the grace of God. Listen, the word justification or some form of it shows up eight times in the book of Galatians, 15 times in the book of Romans. We believe that this is the very first place that it appears in the New Testament because the letter to the Galatians is Paul's first letter. And so this is a big deal, and this is a big premise of the New Testament. We have to understand that it's an act of God, that he declares the believing sinner righteous. That, my friends, is the good news to you, and there's nothing you can do about it. It's the grace of God. So listen, we could go on and on. We could talk more about the purpose. We certainly could dig into the themes more. There's plenty of leftovers from this hibachi grill. I would encourage you to read for yourself. Remember this, the good news is that we have been declared righteous through Christ. I want to give you one epilogue about Paul and Peter. We see them have a very public, kind of tense moment together where Peter potentially is embarrassed by Paul as a leader in the church. He's confronted publicly wonder what the aftermath of it is. you know we believe that this is probably the last time based on what we read in the new testament this is probably the last time these two met right here in antioch never saw each other alive again but yet we read this from peter and second peter chapter three verses 15 and 16 let me read you a little bit of this you know you wonder what happened in their relationship they didn't see each other anymore well listen to what peter says subsequent to all this He says, bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him. I love this. He writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand. Dot, 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 dot. I love that he gave a shout out, essentially. Peter did to Paul after all of this and said he's our dearly beloved brother. And that's important. You know why? It's a good thing. Because ecclesiastical tradition tells us this, that these two guys, Peter and Paul, were tried and condemned in Rome together. And they were also executed on the very same day, June 29th. Peter was crucified. Paul was beheaded. Think about that. You talk about having a burden for the people. You talk about owning what you believe. These guys carried it out all the way to the end. They saw it all the way through. They paid the ultimate price. They did that. In fact, there's a quote that I read that was powerful to me. Their martyr blood, thus mingled, is still a fountain of life to the church of God. Do you see it? So important. Here's what Paul says at the end of Galatians 2. You heard it earlier. Let me read it again. Through the law, I died to the law, so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Look, Paul surrendered his life to Christ. 100%. Do you see it? He gave himself fully. Well, how about you? How about me? How about us? Have you ever surrendered your life to Christ? Have you ever? Have you ever put your faith in Jesus? Have you been justified, declared righteous, not by your good works, but by faith? Have you? Look, this is the perfect time to say, Jesus, I want to be declared righteous. Lord, I come to you in faith. I believe I'm a sinner. I believe. Lord, would you declare me righteous through the life of Jesus? It's that simple. Or how about this? Have you maybe had a long time lapse since you were declared righteous by Jesus? Since that time when you first believed? Is that you? This is a fresh opportunity for you to say, I have been crucified with Christ. God, I'm going all in, 100%. This world needs to know you, and I'll put my yes on the table, and I'll go all in. I'm I'm done with hypocrisy. I'm done with fear. I'm done hiding in the shadows. I want to be a leader. I want to share about the life of Christ. I'm all in. This is a fresh opportunity for you to do that. It's an opportunity for you to simply say, God, thank you. That you have declared me righteous through the life of Christ. I'm justified through faith and faith alone. Well, listen, I want to give you an opportunity through prayer right now to go to God and say, God, thank you for justifying us, declaring us righteous through Jesus. And I think we can even turn to verse 20 and make this our prayer. Would you bow your head? We'll give you an opportunity to talk to God. Oh, Lord, we thank you for Paul and Peter. What an example, Lord. What leadership they provided. They went all in. They gave their lives. They paid the ultimate sacrifice. They carried a burden because of the call of Jesus on their lives. We stand in their shadows. We stand in their shoulders, God. Thank you. And Lord, as we come before you this morning, it's our desire to surrender our lives to you. Lord, if there's someone in here who has never given their lives to you, Lord, this is their chance to say, God, I desire to be declared righteous through Christ, in Christ alone you're at home it's as simple as you saying that oh lord i believe in jesus i believe he's the son of god i believe he died to pay for sin i believe he rose again and i believe that through him and him alone we can be declared righteous That we're justified made right through him jesus christ lord for my friends here who have been following christ for a long time This is a fresh opportunity to say, I'm 100% in. Just like Paul. I have been crucified with Christ. The life I live in this body, I live by faith in him who loved me and gave himself for me. It's the opportunity, Lord, to say that again. It's the chance to say, God, thank you for declaring us righteous through Christ and Christ alone. Oh God, help us to live for you. Thank you so much for declaring us righteous through Christ. God, we love you. Hear us as we sing these songs of grateful hearts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.